0: You remain standing as we read our text this morning. We're only going to cover half of this last petition, and that is about our temptations. Matthew 6, 13 says, And lead us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And therein then concludes the last petition in the Lord's Prayer, and then we have the great doxological benediction as the, we consider the greatness of our God and His kingdom and His power and His glory, let us now pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open up our hearts to be attentive to your word, even in this delicate balance and understanding that we must have as we consider this last petition, which often goes unprayed and is often the least experienced, in the answer to our prayers. And so we ask that you would gird up the loins of our mind and that you would, with your spirit, give us an understanding spiritually of this which is before us, that it would change us, even our praying, for each other and for our own personal lives and that we might also be active in the very thing here that we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. This sixth and final petition and all of the answers to our prayer request and all of our petitions that we ask the Lord, I think this is the least one experienced in our lives. I think this is probably the most neglected prayer request of the entire summary that we have in the Lord's Prayer. It's probably also the one that has had the least realization of answers to those prayer requests in our lives, and we often do not pray as we should here because it's probably the least understood How can we come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of help when we're praying this? And here we have a model of praying that Christ was teaching His disciples and even us that is filled with six petitions, the three of which, the first three, have everything to do with God's rights, and then it gets down to our needs. The fourth petition, beginning that Second section of the petitions prays for our daily physical sustenance. Our, everything in the physical realm that we experience can come under that heading of our daily bread. But the fifth and the sixth petitions deal with our spiritual needs. And the large part of the Christian life, in fact the largest in terms of our needs, is our spiritual life... And you need to take that as an inventory against how you pray to see if you pray that way. If you pray with that kind of balance that Jesus taught us here regarding what our needs truly are. This last petition is broken up into two parts. The first one is we're asking God essentially to save us from ourselves. And then secondly, we're asking him to then to deliver us from the evil one, and all of the externalities that are our enemies. And we're going to look at that first portion today. Lord, lead me not into temptation. But just saying that kind of sounds strange if you think about it. And this is one of the reasons that I believe this is the least prayed for. And the least experienced in terms of answers to prayer because it's, we don't pray for it like we should because we don't understand it like we should. And what we don't quite understand, we tend to neglect. Now there's two questions that are raised when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. And these are somewhat obvious questions that come immediately to our mind. The first one is What is the position of God in reference to my tempting? Is God active in my tempting? Is God on the sideline, passively watching me being tempted? Why do we pray for God to be actively involved in this? And if we are, what extent are we asking of him? What is the petition about? What does all that mean? That's the first question. But there's a second question that we often have. What are the prospects of this petition being answered? You think about it. Where do we encounter temptation? In what places are we when we are greatly being tempted and what, what state of mind or heart or spirit are we in? Are we expecting God to hear our prayer when we are in a place like that? Do we even feel at liberty to pray to God in a state like that? So those are a couple of questions that we need to consider, but in order to set the context for unpacking this, I'm going to turn to James chapter 1 to ensure we have a good process of temptation. I'm actually going to spend more time in the background than I am actually in the petition. So James chapter 1, if you want to turn there, I will read beginning at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. I'm specifically taking the King James for a deliberate reason from this in verse 2, which will become evident in just a moment. Count it a joy when you fall into different kinds of temptations. Now that's difficult to accept unless you understand the process and even the fruit that that yields in your life. Because he goes on and says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let faith have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. But to gain some perspective, let's jump down to verse 13 to give some context as we pray, lead us not into temptation. In verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, temptation, or the word tempted here, is the same form of word as we found back in verse 2. It's the same word. One's a verb, one's a noun. And I want to mention that because many of you are following along in a modern translation that translates verse 2 in something different like trial. And you may miss the connection deliberately in the Greek, which the King James has reflected between temptation and temptation. And I think that's deliberate, a deliberate connection. Count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, not just any sort of trial in your life. And that sounds like a contradiction, especially in light of what verses 13 and 14 say. But verse 13 is a prohibition of ever entertaining that God is ever the actor in our temptations. Let no man say, and that's a universal application... Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Regardless of what you think or what experiences you've had or whatever situation you are in, never say that God was the actor in that temptation of yours. Never entertain that the source is God. That would be a malignancy upon his character. That would dishonor him that would blaspheme who he is so let's see how that process of temptation begins verse 14 tells us of that process but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed now the process begins when temptation appeals to man's desires now, the word lust, in verse 13, is a neutral term. It's, it's, not, it's neither negative or positive. It's benign. It's a very neutral term. It's used all throughout scriptures of even good things, but when the desire is kindled in a very negative context, it's often translated lust because of the implication that it means. And every sin, and this is an important point to realize that every sin goes back to some legitimate desire. A legitimate desire. The tempting of man's legitimate desires, even God given desires, is a part of temptation. But the solicitation to do evil comes when two things occur. First of all, when a man is drawn away by desires. See, there's the process in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. And there's the first part of the process of where temptation comes from. It is possible to go through life with your desires out in front, just drawing you down the path of life. So that rather than being in control of your life and making decisions about those desires that you have, even those innate good desires, rather than that, you are a person who is controlled by your glands. So that temptation occurs when the desire darts out ahead of you and just drags you along. Where are those desires dragging you? The second part of that process of temptation occurs when the desires are seduced or enticed now, that word seduced or enticed, which is the translation here before us, is literally a word that means to catch by baiting something. So you have natural desires, and when your natural desires are being drawn along and dart out ahead of you, and then enticed or seduced, that's where temptation comes from. That's the process of temptation. The temptation occurs when your desires are seduced to find some satisfaction for those desires in an illegitimate or inappropriate way. Now, I could just stop and have you ponder for a moment how that process works, even in very benign or good desires then when those desires are so strong and they're pulling you along, and then they're enticed and seduced to find their satisfaction in an inappropriate or unlawful manner, that's where temptation is. That's the process. That's important to understand when we're praying this petition. It's in this second part of that process where we often find another personality Involved, right? The tempter, with his legions of malignant demons, are often at work baiting your desires to find some satisfaction for them in an unlawful way. But here's the point, and here is the real point God is nowhere to be found in that process, He is not an actor in the process. What we have here is a process where temptation comes from a desire being enticed to then fulfill itself in an unlawful or illegitimate way. Don't ever say that God is an actor in that. I do want us to keep in mind, as kind of a parenthetical comment, that we must differentiate temptation from sin. The process for sin is actually where the next verse leads. And there's the process there from the place of temptation into the place of sin. Temptation in and of itself is not wrong. Even Jesus was tempted, but he was without sin. So make sure that we understand that to be tempted in and of itself is not wrong. Even when we have a desire and we are being enticed to fulfill that in an illegitimate way. There's where the pull and the strength and the power of temptation comes in. But if we stand and resist that, we have not sinned. And that's important to maintain that as we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. So if God is not an actor in the process of that temptation, that brings us to the question, then where is God in this and what's going on? What's he doing? Is he active at all in this? What position does God take here? Where is he when this process is going on? And then what does that mean when we pray this? In helping us consider how to pray this last petition, we should consider four things regarding God and our temptations. And the first thing is this, the leading of God. The leading of God. God will actually lead you into places where this process will go on. Now, that may sound like a contradiction, but you've got to hear me out. He is not an actor in the process, but he will deliberately lead us down the path where this process will go on. And I can just show you evidence is right there. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 4, we've already covered this, but in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, it says right after Jesus' baptism, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Who was leading Jesus? The Spirit of God. Where was the place He was leading Him? Into the wilderness. For what purpose? to be tempted of the devil. See the temptation was not incidental to this whole leading of the spirit of God, but it was the whole purpose while he was the spirit of God was leading him there, expressly to a place where the son of God, the son of man, Jesus incarnate would be tempted. By whom being tempted by his father by by being tempted by the holy spirit absolutely not god is not an actor in the process but he will lead us into a place where that process can take place Sometimes, and that's exactly what was going on here. That happens a number of times in Scripture, and that's one of those places where we read in Genesis regarding Joseph and Potiphar's house. We could go illustration after illustration after illustration that Joseph would then later say, God led me here to his own brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and he led me here in this place. And he led him specifically to Potiphar's house. And providentially, he led that whole situation right to the place where Joseph was even tempted. And even when he stood against the evil temptation and was faithful, he then got demoted because of it. And God was leading in every detail. Job is another classic example. When We find behind the scenes in Job chapter 1 and 2 that Job never got privy to understand that it was God that was calling out Job's name before the tempter to Satan himself. And it was God that was allowing this to happen to Job. So when God is leading you in life, and you're seeking for him to do so, have you ever experienced temptations in the place where God has led you? Sure you have. Was it the will of God for you to face those temptations in the place where God has led you? Sure it was. And this is a very valid point. You will never properly pray this petition unless you understand and accept that where God leads, He also leads you sometimes in the path where this process of a temptation will occur. And He is very deliberate in this. He is not passive on the sidelines with His hand over His mouth going, Oh, I hope He passes. I hope something happens. I hope He doesn't fall. And that while God, while He will not tempt you, He has the right, because He is God, and He has an interest in leading you, sometimes in places and circumstances where you will be tempted. If you do not embrace that biblically and according to the doctrine of the Scripture with all of its evidences throughout the Scripture, you will not pray this prayer like you should, and you will not have the efficacious power of the Spirit delivering you from the very thing that you ask God of. And that's why I believe it's one of the most least prayed and understood passages. Well, a second thing that we need to understand about God's place in this petition to help us understand His position as we then pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation is to understand the limiting that he does in the temptation process. He is very active even in limiting the temptation. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There's a universal truth and a universal application right there. But then it goes, but God is faithful bringing to mind his deliberate activity. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is not passive in this. In fact, he's active in every part of it to the extent that he knows what you can stand up to and what you cannot. He knows more than you and what you are privy to or prone to. He knows what you will succumb to and what you can stand up against. And he's not passive. He's in the limiting process here. He's limiting every aspect of your temptation He will lead you in a place where He knows full well that you will be tempted, but then He puts limits to that temptation very actively, and those limitations to the temptation will never go beyond the grace that He gives to you to endure it. It never will. As a Christian, you have the Spirit of God, and you now have the ability not to sin. Now, we find that we end up sinning every day and frequently, during out the day and throughout, but we have the ability not to. And this answers the question of why you have never been tempted in certain ways. And if you take an inventory of your life, there are going to be some areas that you're not even tempted in. Why are you not tempted in that area and somebody else is greatly tempted in? Because God has restricted that for some purpose known to Him in your life. You've not been tempted with every possible means or place of sin that is known to humanity. You have not been tempted the same way that Potiphar or, or, or Joseph was tempted in Potiphar's house. You've not been tempted the same way that Daniel was tempted. God has been very active in limiting your temptations to the extent that sometimes you are not even tempted because of his limiting factor before even the context began. God is very active. And you have experienced this every day in your Christian life, even quite unawares. The reason your temptations have been so narrow and so small and so little in their power is because God has been limiting them. What do you mean they're limited in their power? You don't know how difficult it is when I'm in this particular He has given you the grace to endure that which he has led you to because he has limited the temptation as well. Folks, we really do not know the full strength and the power of temptation. You do not know the full strength. You do not know your heart. You do not know what you are capable of. And yet God is actively restricting and limiting areas in our life for your good. The person who knows the power of temptation is actually the person who resists it to the end. See, the person who gives in early to a temptation has not experienced the power of that temptation to its victory. I mean, day after day, Potiphar's wife comes in on David. No, 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 no. I mean, this is an endurance for Joseph. Well, why would God even lead us to such a place, and why would God allow such a thing? Some of you are still in your seats struggling right now with everything that has so far been said. And I hope by the end of this message, you can come to the place where you can pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. And if you can't come to an understanding here, you're in in danger. Why would God even lead us to such a place? Why would He allow such a thing? And the answer is because God wants to use it in your life. And that's God's posture. That's God's posture. He is using these things. And he's using them in at least two ways, and that's going to bring me to my third and fourth points about God's position in this. And the third point is this, which is the first way that God uses them. God uses temptation to examine us, to test us, to prove us. That's exactly the reason for these things, of what he allows us in the path where we would have this process going on. John chapter 6, when Jesus is about to feed the 5,000, he goes and he sees all this crowd coming over to him, and the disciples are seeing this crowd follow him as well. And Jesus lifts up his eyes, and he sees this great multitude coming in verse 5, and he says to Philip, Where shall we buy bread to feed all of these? And verse 6 says, But this he said to test him, for he knew what he would do. He said this to test them. God knew what he was going to do. Their faith was being put to the test, and the Lord was deliberately bringing up this question, not to evil, but to examine them, to prove them. to themselves. However, you may recall that in this process, there is another personality involved behind the temptation and that enticement or that solicitation, that seduction part of the process. And and when the evil one is involved in that part, he wants to... to to destroy us, and He wants to lead us in the temptation all the way to the point of death, and that is through the path of sin. But that is never God's intent, never part of the process. And where the tempter is actively working to get you to fall, God is using this opportunity to examine you. Will you endure? Will you stand the test? How unmovable will you be? What will it take to knock you off? Or to knock you down? But the answer to those questions is not for God. For God knows the answer to these things. It's rather for you. He wants you to find out something about yourself that He already knows. And He's going to use this process in leading you for something that you can find out. Not only does God lead us into situations and places of temptation to test us, but fourth, he uses temptation to strengthen us. Not merely to examine us, not merely to show what was in our heart, but to strengthen us and grow us. Never does he ever lead us into a place of that process in order to hope that we might fall but that we might endure, that we might be strengthened. And God is very interested in our sanctification, in our strength, and in our growth. If you've ever been in this ministry, at least through the time we were going through the book of Romans, you may recall when I mentioned to us in the study of that epistle, one of the characteristics in which God is most glorified in our lives, is the characteristic of endurance. And that's exactly what James is pointing back as we circle back around. In James chapter 1, "...my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience." This is the word, "...endurance." And that endurance is to remain under something and carry it away victoriously. And that is a characteristic in which God is most glorified as he watches you endure. And that man, when he has endured, somehow and in some way, that brings a perfect work in your life to where it makes you perfect and complete. I don't know what that exactly means and I don't know really how that works except there's a process to get you there and it includes temptations in your life and the grace to sustain those things to endure for the glory of God. And when a man comes through that situation, not only is he proven and tested, but he is strengthened from glory to glory and made into the likeness of Jesus. And when man has that endurance, when he is bearing up underneath that to the place where the, by the grace of God he is carrying that unto victory, God is greatly glorified. Why do you think God brought up Job's name? Because it is for his glory as Job bears up underneath this and carries it to victory. Why is it that Potiphar's wife comes day after day and the grace of God is given to Joseph to bear up underneath this because God is glorified and our lives are the most fulfilled when we know that we have been used as a channel to bring God glory. Now all of that is the background to the very petition of then what do we pray for when we pray this petition, Lord, lead us not into temptation. And there are six things i'm going to say and i'm going to say them very briefly first of all what does it mean to deliver us from temptation the first thing is it is a petition expressing your desire to avoid all temptation in your life this petition is about as strong as it can get it literally says lord don't ever ever lead me into temptation Please, God, do not lead me there. Don't ever one time lead me. Now, we're talking about your desires, folks. Sometimes natural desires, sometimes good desires. desires that can be very strong and very natural. You get to the place where now all of a sudden those desires are being seduced to find a fulfillment in an unlawful and illegitimate way. Lord, I don't want my desires to be fulfilled in an inappropriate way. That would not be glorifying to you, God. Don't ever let my desires be enticed like that again. That's what we're praying. It's the manward side. I don't ever want to face that again. And what you're doing is you're expressing your heart. That's why every one of these petitions engages in activity in our lives, both in our thinking, in our heart, and with our lives. The second thing that this petition is implying here is it is an acknowledgement that God may lead you into temptation. See, you're acknowledging by the very fact that you're asking Him to lead you not that there may be a time when He does. And you are acknowledging that God has that right. That He is God. He can lead you to the bitter waters of Marah to test you there. But he makes that choice, when and where, and you acknowledge this, but you in your desire and your heart, you're adamantly opposed to that. You get my meaning here? That's not what you want. So the third thing in this petition, it distinguishes here between God's leading and the tempter's tempting. Even in maintaining God's cause, you are doing that when you are praying. This petition stops short of even suggesting that God is the doing the tempting. So what's then the point of praying this and we come to a twofold answer which will be the fourth and fifth things. And the first thing is because this petition reveals something about you. It is revelatory. It reveals something about your desires. It it reveals something about your heart. If you can pray this sincerely, and I mean openly, honest, sincere, with a pure heart, you are demonstrating that you have already passed the big first part of the test. What's the whole point in leading you in the path of temptation? It's to be tested. But when we pray this, it reveals something about your character. When temptation is the process where you are being led away with your desires and you can bring yourself to the petition with a true and sincere pure heart that you can say, Lord, I don't even want to be enticed in such a way that my desires would find its fulfillment in an inappropriate way. You are already well on your way in passing the test. See, it's revelatory. You're not revealing yourself to God. God is revealing yourself to you. If you can come to the place where you desire to please God, and that is greater than to have your desires fulfilled in an inappropriate way, then that is part of this revelation process. When you are saying, Lord, lead me not into temptation. You're asking Him to reveal something about you. And one of the reasons this is an effective request with God is because it reveals what the test would reveal anyway. See? What's the point of the test if you've already revealed your hand or revealed yourself? But if a man will not pray this way with a whole heart and a genuine heart, then God will put him to the test where he will fail so that he will find out that he is not wholehearted in this matter. It's a revelatory petition. You are petitioning God to show you something about yourself in this whole matter, but it's also preparatory. It's not just revelatory. And that's the fifth thing that we are thinking about in this petition, preparatory. It prepares you for those times of temptations when they do come. The Lord prays in the garden. He goes out and he spends that night in prayer and he's intensely praying, Lord, if it be your will let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And he prays and he prays. and He goes back and tells the disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray that your desires would not be fulfilled and enticed in an inappropriate way. That they would not be seduced. Pray that you enter not into that sphere. The Lord had prepared Himself for the great temptation that He was about to face, but the disciples had not. And if you might remember back to the very beginning of our series on the Lord's Prayer, the very word prayer really literally means to wish forward. To wish forward. It is a man on his knees with the will of God in his mind, and he is wishing forward the will of God in his life. That's what prayer is about. A man on his knees with the will of God in his heart, wishing forward the will of God in his life. And he puts all of his desire behind the stated will of God. So it's preparatory. And lastly, this petition is that which demands your undivided commitment to sinlessness. It demands your undivided commitment to sinlessness. So the question is, why is it that so many Christians have prayed and their prayers just do not avail very much? And the question that you need to ask yourself if you find yourself in a season like that, have you ever prayed or are you praying with an undivided commitment to sinlessness? Have you ever prayed, deliver me from temptation, and if I'm there, deliver me from the evil in it sincerely? Now, this this is very thought-provoking, and praying that the Spirit of God would reach right down into our heart of hearts right now and give us an understanding on this last point. If your whole being is behind this prayer, then you cannot be half-hearted in your sincerity. Perhaps there's a darling sin that you really just don't want to give up in your life, this may be the reason as you pray in your prayer life that you're not very effective. Perhaps there's something that you easily succumb to, and yet you really don't want that completely removed. Maybe there's some pleasure or satisfaction that you enjoy, or perhaps maybe there's some great change that you're afraid of, or what the implications of what that might mean if you come to a complete place of commitment to a sinless life. Whatever that means, and whatever the cost, can you come to pray this prayer with that kind of commitment? And if you don't have a prayer life that is efficacious, this may be the reason. Maybe just something that you're not willing to give up in your life. Or the thought that you may lose some pleasurable thing in an area that you're hanging on to. Some area of control. I don't want to give up control here. That's uncertain for me. That's unsafe. That's insecure. I, I, no, I'm not. I'm not 100% committed. And that's what this petition is revealing and preparing and hopefully hopefully exposing so that you can come to a place with a more effectual and fervent prayer life. Maybe you... There's something in your life that if God's word says to do it this way, you find it to be very uncomfortable. And therefore, you've hedged a little bit in this area. Or maybe you're finding it as in, in stifling your individuality or some area of your life that you don't want to just conform. Or perhaps there's some fear that you're not wanting to entirely be done with in your life for whatever reason. And maybe you're concerned what others may just think if some radical change were to happen. I, I can't begin to understand all of the different nuances, but whatever the implication, this is a petition of 100% commitment to sinlessness in my life. Lord, lead me not into temptation. And it's revealing the heart that you desire God's glory more than you would desire for your desires to be fulfilled in an inappropriate manner. May God grant us grace to pray this petition with great sincerity, with great faith, whatever the cost, that we might have an effective and fervent and effectual prayer life to the glory of God in Jesus Christ and that our lives would conform and be active in the very things that we pray for. May God help us. And may he grant us the grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we Ask that your name would be glorified and Christ would be honored and leading us not into the place where our desires would even be enticed and seduced to find fulfillment in an unlawful manner. Lord, we know that in those places where you have seen fit for us to endure those temptations, that that in and of itself is not wrong. But we know our flesh, and our flesh is weak, even though our spirit is willing. And we do not want to even enter into those temptations because we are afraid they will lead us into sin. And we know the end of sin is death. We know our fellowship with you is destroyed. Lord, that is not our heart. That is not our desire. That is not the reason that we have Christ in our lives and you have turned us into a different person. And so with the heart of Christ and with a desire knowing the weakness in this flesh, we ask that you would glorify yourself in leading us not into temptation, but in those times in which you see fit. Oh God, give us the grace to stand. Give us the the faith to stand strong like Joseph did in Potiphar's house, like Jesus did in the garden, like Daniel did in Babylon, like so many of the other saints. And Lord, give us this grace too that we might honor our Lord and Savior who came to shed His blood and die for us in such a great sacrifice that we might know this victory and that we might glorify You in bearing under and holding up and enduring, carrying that load to victory in the strength and the grace of the Lord Jesus. Lord, as we come to this petition, we ask that you would equip us this week with your Spirit to be mindful of this which we pray for, even rehearsing over the points that we have thought about this morning, that you would make it active in our own personal prayer life, and that we might see great victories in the coming days. Victories in our marriages, victories in our parenting and the children and their obedience, victory in our personal lives of holiness and pursuing peace, victory in taking control of those decisions by your grace and not being drawn away and led by them to the place where they're easily seduced into failure. So, Lord, give us grace to stand.